But as Ken said, I'm not sure that you, that following your passion will always lead you in an intentional pathway or career pathing plan. I think allowing your passion to inform your career path and your career decisions is, is important. But uh, like Ken, I'm not sure um, chasing your passion or following your passion is always the best advice. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast. I'm Ken Kennard, and I'm joined by Dr. Chip Roper and Sarah Evers. In this episode, we continued our discussion about the dilemmas we face at work. Specifically, one of the big questions everybody faces along the journey. Should I quit my job or stay put? It's the topic that got the third biggest response in our survey and something lots of people are asking today, given how many people have switched jobs in the last two years. Our conversation addressed the risks and rewards of staying and leaving, the critical questions to ask, and how to invite God and trusted people into the discernment process. This live webinar was recorded in May of 2022, and Dr. Chip got us started with statistics about what's happening now in the job market in light of the Great Resignation. And as we begin, I want to talk a little bit about the landscape, what's happening uh, in the employment market, because it's, it's kind of unprecedented. Every month for the last 10 or so months, over 4 million people have voluntarily quit their jobs. And uh, the Labor Department tracks this, they call it the quits statistic. And it's different from layoffs and it's different from people who retire. Um, so what that means is that over the last year, or say roughly, um, 40 million people plus have left their job and they are, that represents 25% of the workforce. So it's just kind of crazy to think that, you know, one out of four people you meet has changed jobs in the last year, at least one out of four. And uh, so it's, it's just kind of wild. And, uh, you know, people leaving their jobs slows way down in times of economic challenge, and it speeds up when there's opportunity. And there's unprecedented opportunity right now. There's about twice as many job openings as there are uh, people who are even looking for work. So there's roughly 12 million job openings and 6 million people who are who qualify as unemployed. So it's it's just kind of a crazy time. And uh, in the midst of this, and in the midst of all this demand for talent, we call it, um, we have some un interesting and somewhat even bizarre uh, branded phenomena that are coming out. So one of them is called rage quitting. Um, and you can, you know, you can look it up and find social media posts advocating this. And this is, now, you know, some of you don't remember, a, there's always a country western song about everything. And there's this song called, You Can Take This Job and Shove It. And so this dynamic, it's an old song, uh, but it's exactly, it's the same thing that's going on. And it's kind of, how can you bring the most drama, the most intensity, uh, and the most rage to your exit? Um, in the old days, we called it, burning the bridge um, with like an atomic bomb or something, I think. Uh, so it's, 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 that's rage quitting. There's another, uh, another kind of trend that you just, you'll find articles about things like, or places like Medium um, and Business Insider and places like that are kind of really tracking uh, the job market. And that's quitting without a plan. And so, so you'll see a headline, I quit my job without a plan. Like I deserve a medal for this. Um, for just, you know, being so fed up and so true to myself that I just walked out the door. And um, 
So that's another thing that we're seeing. And really not surprisingly, a third thing that's kind of starting to pop up is that um, by, uh, it's buyer's remorse. It's people that quit their job during what is being called the great resignation. You know, they're one of those 25 million people and they hate their new job just as much as they hated their last job. And one of the ways this is being measured is how many people are looking for work within three months of starting a new job or nine months of starting a new job. And um, Sarah, actually, I think you have some stats on that too, don't you? Yeah, I do. 46% of new employees fail within 18 months, uh, according to one research study I read. And within 18 months, only 19% of new hires are considered high performers. So there's a real big gap uh, between um, how many people fail and how many people do well when they transition into a new role. Yeah, so this, this whole idea of like, I'm just gonna go find a better job and I'm not gonna have a plan or I'm just gonna rage quit and then suddenly land somewhere great, uh, it's not happening. And um, there's even, we're seeing that those cycles are speeding up and that you know within 90 days a certain like 20% plus are already looking for something else because they've, they've done a terrible job trying to find a new job. Um, one last thing just about the landscape uh, before, actually two things. One is about the landscape and one is about the research that we've, we've done. So it, there's the employee side and so people are leaving in record numbers and it's not working out. The grass isn't always greener. But there's also the employer side and um, employers are feeling a lot of pain. They're finding it very, very difficult to find and keep good people. Um, you know, the, the cost of, you know, our friends in search, you know, they're, they have tons of open searches. Their challenge is finding qualified candidates who are willing to move. The demands, the wage inflation of having to pay new people more to get them to come is then rippling back through companies' pay structure and that's complicating everything. And, um, you know, there's the whole different dynamics and expectations around remote work versus in the office work and relocation and that kind of thing. So, um, so leaders are so they're frustrated with finding people, and they're also frustrated by the fact that there's so much churn. Um, you know, we were working one of our clients that we worked for. Um, we did a 90-day project with them, and and by the end of it, um, we want to compare beginning feedback and end feedback, and by the end of it some of the people that had given us preliminary feedback were already gone. And so it's, it's really interesting to just to see how much turnover there is and change in workplaces. And, and so all of this fits in with our research. We, we do a study every year on the dilemmas that people are struggling with in their work. And we, we ask questions around dilemmas in two ways. And so in our open-ended question, um, just tell us what's, what your biggest struggles are in your work. Uh, this idea of should I, should I change jobs? I'm considering changing jobs was the second most frequent uh, response. And then we gave people some options to choose from and uh, over 30% selected this idea of choosing, you know, changing jobs, which in that, in that part of the study, it came in third. So, so it's, up, it's up near the top and it's a big concern that people have. And uh, Ken and Sarah, let's talk a little bit more about the landscape and maybe things that you're seeing um, in your client work or, or just in your, your, your networks? Yeah, well, I think about why people are changing their jobs. You mentioned <clears throat> some of those reasons already. Um, I've heard some folks who've said that the reason to stay or quit 
sort of has to do with some of the conditions around work. So I know some people for whom they've fully acclimated to remote work. They may have even moved expecting to be able to keep their job remotely. And then only to find out the company values in-person work and wants them to be in person at least some of the time, if not all the time. And they find that untenable. And they say, I'm gonna go to a job where I can be 100% remote and I don't feel like there's any difference, no, no reason for me to drive in, no reason for me to waste that time of commute. But there's other folks for whom the opposite is true. They've been suffering. I talked to a client just this week, suffering in the pandemic because they know that they're wired in such a way that they thrive on the energy of togetherness and teamwork and all of the multiplicity of relational dynamics that happen when you're in person. And a company that values that will say, you know, let, let's do that. And if a company says, no, we're a 100% remote workforce, that, that employee might look for other work where they can really deliver their best value. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a fragmented market. So navigating that is, is uh, feeding into this. Sarah, how about you? What do you, th what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing that um, people are leaving for a variety of reasons. So sometimes it's because they're having tension with their manager or their boss and they can't figure out how to resolve it or they feel like their um, opportunities for career advancement have been capped, whether like capped, uh, whether it's because of something they've done or a, a, an image that others perceive of them. And then I, I have other clients that are um, talking about a toxic work environment. And, you know, we, ha we have to do the parsing between is it a toxic work environment or um, a bad season at work? Like, is it, is it really toxic or, um, you know, who, is there, what's the health issue there? And I think once you diagnose what, what the root issue is, you can figure out, is this really a position that um, I'm ill-suited for? Or is it a position that... Um, or is the team in a bad place? Is the team lacking health and is there hope for it? So I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons people are leaving. Um, and sometimes they, there's a lack of patience to figure out, um, is this the best time to leave? Or am I, like you said, with the rage quitting, am I having an emotional reaction and going for the drama and just getting out too soon? That's a really important point that there's a lot of different reasons people are leaving. And some of them are, I mean, you know, I guess you could say, who are we to say? Well, I mean, this is this kind of our business. This is what we do. Right. We help people <laughs> in transition, among other things. Uh, but, you know, some of them are, or I wouldn't say, legit's probably not the right word. They're just, they're wise, good reasons to move on, and some of them aren't. But there's this diversity out there. And you don't find diversity in headlines. You know, headlines globalize everything. And, and FOMO has to be part of this too, don't you guys think? Like just the fear of missing out. Like if, if my friends are getting, you know, they're changing jobs and they're getting more perks or something like that, then I don't, I don't want to miss out. Right. I, nobody wants to miss out on a better opportunity somewhere else. But just today I was talking with a client and she was talking about how a lot of her friends are um, getting fed up and they go online and they apply for a ton of different positions um, and what she's excited about is that she isn't doing this emotional, the, the last straw, now I'm going out for a job, but she's, she's in, embracing a process, an intentional process to help her get to her new next. Like rage applying. Right? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what we talked about. What I talked about with her this morning. It's that emotional reaction and let's apply for any job that seems like it might rescue me from this 
role that I'm in right now. Well, great. We, uh, we just polled uh, the audience that's uh, as part of this webinar, and about half of them are not planning on changing their jobs in the foreseeable future, and the other half are either already looking or planning to. So 50-50 split uh, in the audience today, which is interesting. It's just kind of, you know, we talk, there's lots of headlines about the people that are leaving, but 75% are staying, so, you know, even broadly. So it's kind of interesting how, how, the, how we need to come through the hype. So let's, let's move on. Uh, to the solution side a, a little bit and start and think about what we should do. And what we're going to do, um, we've got two wisdom principles that we want to get into. And we want to talk about the wisdom of leaving and we want to talk about the wisdom of staying. And we know they're opposites and that's the way wisdom often works. Uh, and then uh, we're going to process that a little bit together as a group. And then we want to come back to some more global principles that just sort of apply you know, what we do with our lives and um, just in, in, other, in general decision making. So let's talk about wisdom number one, wisdom principle number one, is to move on with care, but to, to move on, it's to leave. And there's this verse, it's, uh, it was the Apostle Paul was talking to slaves and he says, if you can gain your freedom, do it. Like, and so if you can move on to a truly uh, better situation, um, go for it, do it. And um, so, so these are real opportunities. You know, you're leaving for a real opportunity that's verified, and um, it's a verified improvement. And you know, we we want to help people in our process. Have, we want to help help you replace re wishful thinking with real facts, with verified facts. Because um, what we see a lot of is folks that have a lot of hopes and expectations, and fingers crossed kind of wishes. Um, that don't materialize. Like, I think back to a client who um, got like, laid off, and he had three great conversations with three different companies, and he just thought, "This is going to be easy. I've got three options. Three people love me, and this isn't. This is going to happen quickly." It did. None of them did. Because a, a a friendly conversation is not a job offer, and he didn't work a process. He just counted on three friendly conversations. And when, by the time all those op, potential opportunities had f fully unwound and were dead, he was, he was two months out and he had wasted 60 days uh, just assuming it was gonna be easy. So that's why we, we really emphasize verifying, um, verifying that there's something better. So when would it be good to leave a job? Well, you know, maybe you really are part of a company where it's, there's truly a toxic culture that's never going to get better and you know it's just kind of it's the kind of thing where you you really would you should move on if you can or and this is something that 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 we've seen in our some of our clients is they get what we call it like typecast you know like certain actors play certain roles sometimes certain team members get stuck in certain roles and um, especially if you come into a company and you're very junior and you're helpful and you kind of help everybody um, you can kind of find that People just expect you to do certain things and they're ne they're just, there's no incentive or reason for them to really give you more responsibility, uh, to give you more complex projects to work on, to get you into management. Um, and you're just, the only way to move up, so to speak, to, when I say move up, I mean to be able to contribute more, to be able to add more value, uh, is to change companies. Uh, and the last thing I would just say about this idea of moving on is well, two things actually. I'm going to say a little bit more about verification, but timing is the is the is the is one piece of this. 
there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy right now. It's 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 a weird it's weird because uh, consumer spending is still really high, um, uh, you know, unemployment's low, and demand for workers is really high, and yet there's there's just a little bit of of warning signs in terms of the employment market. Um, and Netflix made some is not doing great, and they just laid some people off. And there's a couple other there's companies that are in mortgage refinancing or laying people off because people aren't in higher interest rates, people aren't buying houses. So there's there's sort of sector specific contractions already, uh, and who knows what's going to happen. So uh, the idea I, I love to tell clients is don't jump onto a shrinking iceberg. You know, don't don't think that I'm going to get off of this one and jump onto this, and I'm going to make a transition to a company that's in a, an industry that's, that's going to be one of the first ones to go down if there's a, a recession, it's in a market like that's, that's under pressure, or if it's a company that's just not, not doing well financially. Um, because you're the first in, you may be the first to go if things get bad, and if it's a shrinking iceberg, it's just not going to be around very long anyway. So, uh, so that's where this, this idea of verification comes in, and, um, and really asking the kind of questions to confirm that it's a good option. So that's the move on with care uh, council, and it's it's there's a wisdom about it that's practical. There's even a wisdom about it that's biblical. Gain your freedom if you can. And then there's another idea, and that's to stay, the wisdom to stay, to advance in place. And and, and as a kind of biblical resource on this one, I think of Daniel. Uh, he's in the Old Testament. He was a leader in the Babylonian government. And in chapter four, the king goes mad and takes a seven-year sabbatical. So I don't, I don't know how much you guys know about kings, but generally they, kings don't survive uh, taking seven-year sabbaticals. They lose their kingdoms, they lose their, their palaces, they lose everything. But Daniel and his, and his friends, it seems like they were running the show and they were able to go seek out the king and return his empire to him. So. But Daniel stayed. He was he was the guy that stayed when everything was kind of falling apart, and and didn't use it as a power grab. Just used it as an opportunity to be faithful and to serve. And I have a friend who just he, he as he's recalled his career, um, he often ended up joining teams and different in different companies when a bunch of people were leaving, and um, that actually, by being the guy who stayed and was steady and responsible, that that's how he. He really learned how to add value and, and really developed a track record. So we have these two ideas, leave or stay. You say, well, they're the opposite. That's right. That's the way wisdom often works. It's, there's a right, you know, is there a time and a place for everything? That's in Ecclesiastes. It's a book of wisdom. And so there's a time to leave and there's a time to stay. That's probably one of those phrases in Ecclesiastes 3. Ken and Sarah, what do you guys think? Yeah, a time and a place for everything, for sure. I, I think of a time when um, I had a big a big decision to make. My husband was ready to move um, and I wasn't and we had to go into a season of prayer and discussion and discernment to figure out what is our our next best. Is it to stay where we were or to move? Um, and it took us a long time to get on the same page. But I think that's the important thing is that we gave ourselves time. We weren't in a position to, um, we didn't have to make a snap decision, but we gave ourselves time to work a process. Um, to weigh out the pros and the cons. Yeah, that's really good, and and we we don't always have time. I mean, we if you lose your job, you there, it's a different kind of time, a different kind of time set time situation. But depending on your resources and so forth. But if you if you just don't like your job or you hate your job and you want to find another job, um, 
you don't have to do that. You know, right, you, you can, don't you have to rage quit. Yeah, you don't have to rage quit. You don't have to rage quit. That, that I think, is folly, is the rage quitting. I think a, a, a more intentional process is what's going to set you up to, to work a process with wisdom. And so I think the, the opposite of rage quitting is intentional job search so that you can move from one place to another. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, Chip, moving from one place to another is staying in place and moving up. It reminds me of a client I have where I was working with the COO and he was a real flamboyant, aggressive go-getter type. And he burned through this job in a couple of years. He was gone. They, they, they let him go. He was replaced by another one who, same thing, go-getter, flamboyant, burned out within two years. They let him go. Meanwhile, um, another member of the team was patient. He was reliable. He was, uh, you know, steady. He was faithful with what he was given to do. And every time someone left, he moved up a rank and up a rank. And just two years ago became the COO of this company. I've been working with him ever since. And I think that was another one of those Daniel examples where sometimes someone else's folly could be your opportunity. And if you're faithful in small things, then perhaps the company gives you an opportunity to be faithful with, with many things. That's great. That's really good. Well, one thing we haven't talked about in making this decision to stay or go is passion. Mm. Which sounds almost like heretical today because everybody's talking about, I'm going to go follow my passion. I'm at WeWork today, you know, do what you love. That's the, it's on the wall somewhere in this building. So what do you guys think about passion? I love it. I love passion. I love Who passion and energy. You are passion. You bring the passion. <laughs> I don't. I'm passion's highly overrated. Let's just get to work. Come on. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, that's a, it, that is a mantra out there. Follow your passion. It, what do you guys think? Yes, it's, it's a mantra to follow your passion. I'm not a big fan of follow your passion. Um, I, I might be more of a fan of lead your passion. Um, I feel like passion is one of those things that, you know, I've been passionate about many things and I pursued them for a while and then I wasn't passionate about them anymore. And if I had made a big commitment to that passion, where would I be now? So I think of it that way. I also feel like um, passion is the kind of thing that can come along after something, some smart decisions are really working well. You know, if I get good at something, and I start to master it, and I start to bring value to other people, I've found that passion will sort of follow that. And, and I'll become really passionate about it because I like bringing value and I like learning things and I like mastering things. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against passion, but I'm not sure I want to be led by it. Good. And I think, I think passion is, um, it's one aspect to consider as you are making a decision about your job. I think when you are interested in your work and you're passionate about it, it's going to come out of more of flow and it's going to be something that gives you energy as opposed as, as opposed to something that drains you of energy. So I do think passion is something to consider, but as Ken said, I'm not sure that you, that following your passion will always lead you in an intentional pathway or career pathing plan. I think allowing your passion to inform your career path and your career decisions is, is important. But uh, like Ken, I'm not sure um, chasing your passion or following your passion is always the best advice. I'm going to contradict myself and I'll say I think passion is really important, but it has to be rightly defined. How should it be defined? Well, the, I, I like to define it as sustained interest and energy 
Like what sustains your interest and what gives you energy and consistently over time? And, you know, there is that possibility, Ken, like you were saying that it could, you know, I was, this was keeping my interest and I was very energized by it and it faded, you know. It's also, it's also possible that you just start something that you kind of have to do and then it, and it grows. But I, I think those are some good, how, like how do we even define it? Does it just mean I'm excited about it? You know, and we all get excited differently and that looks, and that's, it's, you know, uh, so I don't know. I, but I do think, I think what you said, Sarah, that if you're not in, at all interested in something and it doesn't, it's gonna be hard to uh, sustain excellence in it. Um, and you know, there's a whole other side of this too, like how much of your actual day-to-day -day has to fit. And it's, you know, one of the things that we get to do when we work with people in a coaching conversation is we get to find, help them find ways to say express, express and leverage their passions in maybe micro ways, in micro, micro ways in a job that at the macro level doesn't speak to their passion. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna push back on one thing if I could there. I, I, I feel like, I, like here's what happened with my son once. I knew my son, uh, we had done some assessment work and I found he was really good at a certain thing. And I said, I think you're gonna really like this class. You should take this class. And he said, dad, I don't wanna take that class. That's a science class and I'm, I don't like science. I've ruled out science. I said, yeah, but this kind of science you would really love. Why are you not interested in it? And he had sort of prejudged it. He didn't, he didn't really know what it was about. So I said, well, like, why don't you just try it and then if you realize this is, you hate it, and this is not, you're not passionate about it, okay, let's cross it off, you've, you've at least tried it. But once he tried it, he loved it. And he came back to me and said, oh, I'm so glad you suggested that. I, I, that was the best science class I've ever had. I, I feel like there's gotta be some- So you were right, Dad, Dad was right. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, and I, I feel like there's gotta be some room for us to be open to other people who know something about us and something about the world that we don't know they can say, you might not be passionate about this now, but passion is not the only reason to do something. Maybe you can develop a passion if you have the natural ability and this fits you well and there's opportunity and all those other things we talk about. So I've kind of encouraged clients to um, have an open mind if they're at this position of, I don't know what to do with my life, you know. Would you be open to considering a few options that you haven't yet developed passion in, but they might be a good fit for you in other ways? Yeah, I think there's, exactly, there's skill, there's knowledge, there's um, things that you've been able to practice, there are your natural abilities. I think those are all important to consider in addition to passion. Uh, but I don't think passion is the only decider on whether you stay or whether you go. It's possible that the role you're in right now, something you're not passionate about it, might lead you to your next best fit, uh, something that you could be passionate about. And so this, um, this impulsive rage quitting is going to limit opportunities and possibilities. Yeah, you know, like the senior exec, executive types that we survey when we put these presentations together, they're, they're very, uh, very down on the idea that you just quit your job because it's not fulfilling or it's not fun. They think you can learn a lot in those types of settings. It's about service. And if you do what, generally speaking, if you do well where you are, it's going to lead to more opportunities in the future. There's always caveats to that, and um, and there's but there's ways to find out if that's true or not. And and so we're you know we're really we may not all be aligned on passion exactly, but we are aligned on the idea that you know you need a thoughtful process to discern this. And 
if you do, the outcome is going to be a lot better than if you don't. The Career Navigator is our way of helping people deal with the chaos and stress of career transition. The program combines personal assessments for getting clarity on your calling, skill development for communicating your unique value, and proven strategies for making the leap to your next. We offer individual and cohort versions and would love to help if you or someone you know is facing a job transition. For more information, check out vocacenter.org slash career navigator. Well, let's move on to some broader principles. So we got this idea that sometimes we should leave, sometimes we should stay, and we just wanted to make uh, spend a little bit of time. Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time, and Ken and Sarah are going to be back shortly just to talk about a couple of bigger ideas that we think affect this whole decision of what we should do for our work. What what job should I choose, or what job should I choose next, or pursue next? And and the first is the idea that. Um, you know, with wisdom, there's this sense of it's situational and it can kind of, you know, you, wisdom in one situation is to stay and one another is to leave. And so it's kind of, it's kind of fluid in a lot of ways. Um, but that's not the only thing God gives us when we're making decisions. And um, so we have this idea that another idea that we have is that God gives us guidelines, that he gives us boundaries and, you know, moral and, and, and moral boundaries and, and, and you could call them guardrails if you'd like, but there's just certain things we shouldn't do. And we could go through a long list of, of uh, biblical commands, but I think you know, we could just summarize it. Jesus said, you know, love God and love your, love your neighbor. And it's like this idea of well, what's loving and honoring towards God and what's loving and honoring towards other people. And, and there's certain work and certain work opportunities that wouldn't match uh, one or both of those criteria. Um, you know, I, mean, I had an opportunity, I was interviewing for a job one time and I just felt like the organization that I was interviewing for was kind of, was going to involve me in um, purveying some ideas that I felt were kind of contrary to, to God's, like things that have been revealed about God and I just, I didn't feel like I couldn't pursue it. So, and then when it comes to loving people, I think we could say there's certain work that just isn't, it's destructive of people and, um, and we can, you know the vice, the vice, the vice industry um, is, is certainly fits into that, and there might be some other things that just it's really there's just it's just not good. It's, it hurt it hurts people and it destroys people, and it's not something that we should be part of. And um, so there's guidelines, and then there's also this bigger idea of of discovering God's will for your career. This idea that God has a will. You know, Jesus prayed. Um, he prayed, you know, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So it's part of how he taught us to pray, that we should be seeking this thing called God's will or God's plan. And then at the crisis crucible of his life, when he's, he's, he's right near the end, he says, you know, God, not my will, but your will. And so there's this idea that being a Christ follower is seeking his plan for our lives, his will, his desires, which some of that's qualitative. It's the kind of people we are. And some of it's what we do. Some of it's tactical. And um, a lot, I mean, this has been a subject that people have batted around um, uh, for, for 
bazillions of years. And I guess, you know, for me, I just come down on this idea that, well, generally, first of all, it's a question we should ask. And I, I find a lot of people are not asking this question. You know, they're just, they're just jumping at an opportunity to take a job or to move to a different place because it, it's going to be more comfortable. And they're not really, that's not following God with your life. That's just asking God to bless your plans. And they're, they're, they're fundamentally different. And when it comes to, so then you open that door and you say, okay, okay, Chip, like, how do I figure this out? Well, I'll just use my gift of complexifying things. It's, we, I think it is kind of complicated. I think there's multi-factors involved in figuring out what God's will is for our lives. So, you know, we have this sort of scriptural guidelines idea that there's, there's things that are inbounds and out of bounds in general. I think there's, this is hard for busy people, but we need to spend time in quiet and meditation and prayer. And, and as we are surrendering aspects of our lives to God, see kind of what he stirs up in us, I think that's true. Um, at least some of us probably, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I believe that God can prompt us through his spirit and put things in our heart. So there's a, it's not just an intellectual exercise. There's actually a dynamic where he is working on us and, and bringing things up for us. Um, there's what we really care about and what we want to do, which gets back to that passion factor. It's, it's in there, especially if it, if it keeps popping after, you know, repeatedly over time. But then there's also the advice of other people, counsel, really important and circumstances that you know anytime God leads a person to do something in other words this is their will for them there's gonna at some point there's gonna be some verification of that in circumstances actual things in the world like it's not just gonna be a theory it's not just gonna be a feeling uh, there's gonna be something that that shows that yeah this is or probably more than one thing that this is really what you're supposed to do um, you know, just, I want to be an actor. Okay, you want to be an actor. I'm called to be an actor. Okay, you're called to be an actor. At some point, you're going to have to get an acting gig. Somebody's got to pay you to act uh, for that to really be God's will. If, if nobody ever does that, then it's, it's just a, it's a sort of a theoretical kind of thing. So, you know, when you're, when you're wrestling through what God's will is, you're kind of looking at trying to find the confluence of a lot of these factors. See, how do they all align? And it's, it's, so it's a kind of a hairy topic, but so let's, let's bring Ken and Sarah. Since it's a hairy topic that I don't, I don't want to just go down on my own on, uh, we'll bring Ken and Sarah back in. Any comments just on these ideas of, of guidelines or guardrails, guys, and God's will? And then let's, let's get into the God's will thing in a little more detail. Yeah, it seems like um, what you've talked about is almost this decision-making matrix Right. Overall, we've got these boundaries that God has given us. We've got um, wisdom that's situational and fluid. Uh, we have these moral para parameters, right? Love God, love others. Um, you know, avoid the vice industry because it doesn't honor God and doesn't necessarily honor others. And I think there are other things that we can clearly say no to based simply on that those boundaries of um, loving God, loving all the others. And when we go through scripture and think, this is the will of God for your life. You know, when you search that phrase, you can find things that are true. And so does this new opportunity allow you to live out aspects of God's will um, that are revealed in scripture? So I think there's a process we can go through. But once you walk through that, then you take a look at those five elements you mentioned. What are you hearing from the word in scripture? What do you hear in prayer? What are you hearing from the Holy Spirit? How are other people confirming it? 
and then what is coming up in your circumstances. So I think it's a really good grid for helping us discern our next steps. Yeah, it, it is a good grid. And, and I want to go back to your example about like, you know, being an actor, you know, you think God's will is for you to be an actor and yet no one hires you to be an actor. I mean, in a situation like that, I'm not sure that the only solution is to throw away the idea that you should be an actor. Another alternative would be to look and see, look deeper at what is it about being an actor that that you think is a good fit for you or that really appeals to you. I want to look deeper at that. Maybe it's not so much the acting part, but it's the communication part. Or maybe it's, you know, teaching or maybe it's being an usher at the theater and helping people experience acting because you believe in its power. And um, it doesn't matter so much how you do it. What matters is what you're doing, that, that you believe in this and the power of storytelling to change lives for the better. So I, I, I feel like some discernment is needed even at that level uh, to decide how, how is this apparently misguided passion or interest or calling, how does it need to be tweaked to fit with the other things in that Venn diagram, such as opportunity? That's really good, Ken. I think, well, first of all, this is why you're a good coach, because you push past the surface and you, you want to get at what's underneath. And and when you say that, it reminds me of kind of like the one of the last big transition points in my life and figuring out God's will. There was a common thread, but it's, it was a little bit hard to find. So, so I was like for like probably six to seven years, I was pretty much a restless soul and, and, and trying to figure out what the next thing was. And so and I would get obsessed with things, which this, this, this highlights some of the, the unhelpfulness of passion. So for a while I was, I was obsessed with the idea of getting a farm or a ranch and I had no idea how I was gonna make money, but I just wanted to live on a farm and have horses and stuff. And because um, my daughters rode and I liked, I liked all the physical work and that kind of thing. And it's really hard to, to make a living at, but it didn't matter. So, so I replaced that with an even better idea, and that was to sell everything and live on a sailboat with our family and sail. And I read books about this and how to sail around the world. And Sean, I see you rolling your eyes, stop that. <laughs> um, and my wife thought I was crazy. And uh, my buddy and his wife almost did this, and then they decided they were crazy too. But um, and then the third kind of thing, I mean, it, like there's these things that I did research about and spent time thinking about and that kind of thing. The third idea was, we were to, was to move to New York City from the cushy, green, uh, leafy suburbs of Philadelphia, which actually, that one actually happened. So what's the difference? Well, first of all, Ken, back to your idea, what is the common thread? And I think there is a part of me that likes um, kind of wilderness, boundary, frontier, and the city is that, actually. The city is is wild, just like the ocean and just like you know the west where you have a ranch it's it's there's a and it's not like the suburbs and and there's part of that i think that that is a common thread um but how how was the discernment process different well it was much more methodical uh it was there's a lot of people involved um and as i put out feelers and did an exploration process which we've embedded in our career navigator um doors started to open and opportunities started to come through and so in order for me to move to New York, just a couple examples. One is I had to be able to raise a family of teenagers here. I had to raise money to come here. And um, so, and, and you know, I had, to, I had to do that stuff. And um, 
it took a whole community for us to be able to come here and all that stuff fell into place and it was over a process of time but it wasn't like and it's interesting because I talked to some people here in New York early on and they said there's people that just come here and and use their savings to do it and the stories don't end well don't do that so Sarah back to your point earlier about taking your time which I hate to do that is no, no part of me likes to be patient um, but there's so anyway so there's all this stuff and then as I was coming here I turned down a couple of things or didn't pursue a couple of things I didn't feel fit in the box of some kind of God's guidelines and everything but I hope that's a clear example just of how there's a sort of iterative exploratory process that is needed and that eventually there has to be that sort of you know real-world validation that this is really the path you want to go down so I, I mean I know you guys have wrestled with this what, what what kind of stories have you have you had yeah I well thanks chip for going deeper into your story i think that's remarkable i just wanted to comment on you picked three very difficult living environments uh you love the challenge you love the thrill and uh you want to be in a place where to survive you need to really thrive at a difficult uh, journey um I'm, I'm thinking back to a similar thing that combined these sort of um principles you, you mentioned these four things you know godly wisdom or principle the heart counsel and circumstances. And for me, when I was trying to decide about going to grad school, two of those really aligned well. Um, you know, God's plan for my life, you know, could I could I do a Colossians 3.23 and work heartily for the Lord in graduate school? Definitely could check that box. How about my heart? You know, did I really love this subject matter? Was this really me? Was I suited for this? And was I really interested? Was I hungry to learn more? Absolutely. Um, I was all in. But then when it came to counsel, you know, my parents didn't really have a lot to say on the topic of whether I should go. I had no friends that were pursuing this direction um, and only one mentor that really encouraged me and said, yeah, you could do it. So it was kind of a mixed bag and, and he felt strongly it would be a good thing. Um, and then circumstances, you know, um, I would have to actually apply and get accepted. It would take me about a year of time and effort and money to gear up to have an acceptable application. So it felt like I had to commit before I even knew if it would work. And that was kind of a mixed bag too. Was I ready to make that commitment? How much did I feel confident in this path? And so, you know, in the end, I, I committed enough to do the application and I knew I couldn't afford it. But after I committed to do it, I thought, it, you know, if the Lord wants this to happen, he'll also be in those circumstances. It'll, it'll sort of be confirming if there's a way to pay for it. And there, there turned out to be that I didn't know. And so um, I ended up, you know, taking the plunge and uh, investing three years of my life in this career path that opened up other doors later. And that was not an easy decision. And I didn't have complete alignment of those four things initially. Um, so I think in real life, it's probably messier than it is on a PowerPoint slide. But... Um, but that that was my experience anyway. Sarah, how about you? Yeah, we. My husband and I went through this. I mean, I mentioned our um, one of our, our our questions of do we relocate? Do we do we move? Um, and that we had the gift of time because we started talking about it um, and gave ourselves years to work through it. But we had another experience where things changed organizationally with my husband's job, and he suddenly had three months to figure out if he was going to stay with the organization or go. And he had to, had to figure out what, what's his next path. 
Um, and so we, we went through that process of praying through it in scripture and trying to figure out what, what is he, um, where does he thrive and what kind of work did he want to do? Like it was, we went all the way back to zero to help him figure out, does he find a new job in the organization because his role is being eliminated? There are parameters being put on it. Or does he leave? Um, and that was when he started thinking about opening up private practice um, as a mental health counselor. So we really had to had to go through this whole process to figure out what's what is the next next best step for him. And in the end, it was God honoring for him to do either one of the options, right? To stay with the organization or to launch out entrepreneurially and open his own mental health private practice. Um, and sometimes I think that's what it is. Like we get to, we, we do our decision matrices, we work our processes and we realize it would be good either way. Um, and then I think we just need to step out in faith and do what we want, right? God would, maybe God will say yes to both things. Um, and I've heard somebody describe it as, you know, like as a parent, most of the time, I really don't care what my daughter wears to school. But there are occasional days when it matters. Maybe I know some commitments we have after school or it's picture day. And that day, it really does matter that she brushes her hair, right? It matters that your outfit matches. But most of the time, it doesn't. And I think sometimes with God's will, he puts us in situations where both things are great and we can choose what we want. Um, and sometimes it really matters that we, that we choose wisely. It always matters that we choose wisely. Let me rephrase that. Um, but sometimes the wise choices are both of the options on the table. I agree with that. I think that's a really important point. That, which again, that means there's really no formula for this because sometimes it's really clear, like it's you got to do this. And sometimes one of my mentors asked me, he's like, sort of getting at that, what you just said. If if there is no lightning bolt and God clearly says to do X, Y, or Z, what would you do, and why? And I thought that was a great question. You know, like. Uh, Typically, what I see is I see people that just they just make a quick reactive decision, and there's none of this. Uh, so let's keep talking a little bit, and then let's throw up in a poll. We want to know what you guys would like to hear more of, more about um, as we do a little Q and A here. Um, so, what would you like to hear us discuss more? And why people are answering that, Ken and Sarah, I just wondered, like, you know, in this whole topic, like this, people, somebody comes to you and says, um, "Should I leave my job or stay?" Like, what's the one thing, what's the one message you want to get across to them, if you can only give them one? If I can give people one piece of advice, it would be to refrain from an emotional reaction and engage in an intentional process. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I'm thinking about the conversations I've had with people, and I think it boils down to two kinds of moves. Is this, is this and the next permanent move where you're going to move into something that's long-term and, and can add value? And, or is this like, oh my gosh, I have to feed the family. I just need something for now. Um, so discernment right up, up front of what kind of move this is. And if it's, um, if it's the kind where it's really intentional and it's more permanent and you're looking at this long-term, then it really pays to go a little bit deeper in your process to figure out how you're wired and make sure that you're moving into a situation that's really going to be a fit. Yeah, how do you optimize for that next thing? And you know, for me, I think um, I, I I would like to say what each of you said, but I can't, so I have to come up with something else. Uh, now, a third, I, another thing that I I 
I have said to people sometimes is that the answer is out there. It's out in the world. Now, it's, it's God's answer, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be delivered to you almost always out in the world. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come as you get out and you talk to people about what's possible. And, and it's going to come through a whole series, typically, of the, especially if, like if you're discerning what to do or you're contemplating a change or you just want to move to a different company, even that, um, the more you can socialize uh, your questions and the more you can talk to people out in the world who know, uh, the more clarity you're going to get. You know, one of, my, one of my advisors when I was in that transition to New York uh, said, talk to as many people as you can and monitor your energy after the conversation and see, see how that option connects with you. I thought it was pretty, that was really interesting and, and I thought it was a little, a little fluffy. And, uh, but a, as I got into the process, I realized it was really quite accurate. And, and in my case, some of the things that I was qualified to do, um, whenever I talked to somebody about that, I was completely exhausted. And they were great people, and they were great conversations. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a work conversation, like we're going to try and talk to each other. It was a great conversation, but I just felt like all the all the blood and sugar had drained out of my body afterwards. And I was like, "Wow, that's crazy!" But it was real because I was like sitting on the edge of the pond, looking into that work, and and realizing that that just wasn't where I was supposed to go. So I, I think that there's something that just happens when we're out in it, and yeah, I think the clients that we have that do really well um, are the ones that get to talk to a lot of people about what's possible and the ones who struggle, like they don't want to do that, they don't think they need to do that or it's awkward or whatever. It's, they just, they're, they're flying blind. Yeah, I, I think even worse, they're, they're afraid that the person's going to say no and so they don't want to ask. I just had that this week, a, a guy I was coaching, I said, you reach out to this person. He was reluctant. He waited three weeks. I ended up talking to the guy myself. I ran into him in a group. I said, oh, someone, so-and-so is going to reach out to you. I, I re recommended him say, oh yeah, that would be great. I'd love to talk to him. I want to take him out for coffee. Let's get, let's connect. And I, I was just struck with the difference between the one who was reluctant to connect because it would probably not work out and the guy's legitimate response at the idea. Interesting. Well, right. That's when when we are driven by fear, it it prevents us from reaching out and getting information. So then we don't have an informed search, and then we can't be intentional. And we focus our job search on wishful thinking instead of driving it towards data and real information and facts. And Chip, that's what you started this conversation with in the beginning, talking about how at, at Voca we want to help people bring God's wisdom to work, even in the job search. And that means turning wishful thinking into data-driven decisions. That's good. That's really good. So people uh, said that they'd like to hear a little bit more about a little bit about wisdom and staying, wisdom for quitting, passion and considering your career path, passion factor. But the main, the, the winner is figuring out God's will for your work. Just a light topic. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it sounds like what we're saying is, in general, it's it's a it's a thoughtful, careful process rather than an emotional moment. That's one of the things we're saying. We're saying, I wanna come back to that. Um, we're saying that you're looking for the alignment of a bunch of different things. You're looking for the alignment of like biblical principles plus 
whatever you're getting kind of in the sense of you're listening for God and his voice and your own passions and heart and desires kind of peace is in there and some kind of counsel what other people are saying and seeing in you and circumstances. So you're looking for, you know, this is a big Venn diagram. There's a lot of circles in it. Um, <laughs> um, we might be 3D now. And Sarah, maybe, I mean, you, you in your example, and well, both of you guys shared examples where it took a while for it to, to really settle in that this is what you were supposed to do. Do you want to say maybe a little more about that? Yeah, I can. I can. So um, I think for one of the decisions my husband and I made together with um, with relocating, it was um, it took us a long time to figure that out. We gave ourselves time, and um, and we the two of us weren't aligned. This was a decision we had to make together, and the two of us weren't aligned. And that I mean that took patience, that took persistence, that took. Um, a willingness to explore potential opportunities that maybe one of us didn't even want. Like we had to be open to what God might have for us that was different from our mindset of what we imagined life to be like. Um, so I think that process was difficult. And then when I think of the, the process we went through as a family when um, when when this job change was hap- happened to my husband, right? That, that first one I talked about was a job switch or a location switch that we initiated. But then the situation I also shared was something that was done to us um, and my husband had to make a quick choice. And that decision, um, that, that decision required him to be in touch with what he really needed and what he wanted and for him to be in touch with what God, God was doing in his life. He had to be uh, aware and attuned um, to the Lord so that he could find that alignment. Um, while embracing the boundaries he had with providing for the family um, and and participating in work that that God designed him to and that he was qualified for. You know, it almost points up the the opposite extreme. So there's the extreme that we've been hammering on in this whole conversation, which is no process, no deliberateness, no, not even maybe asking the what's God's will question. But the other extreme is that it's got to be so perfect that you never make a move. And, right, and I I just was feeling that and what you like in my your situation. Mike had to decide something. It was relatively quickly. You were voluntold that this is going to happen. Yes, and it's kind of like well, you don't need to get that next one exactly right. You just need to, it needs to be close, you know, and then it can evolve and develop from there, kind of thing. Yeah, that that um, that idea that it has to be perfect can really um, sideline us from what could be a really great next. Um, and, and the fear of not getting it perfect can prevent us from making a move when we need to. So, so again, I think it just pulls in the fact that wisdom is situational and, and there is value in having other people speak into a process and actually embracing a process for change. Yeah, and, and Sarah, in your example, you know, you wanted a really great result and you want it to be easy and fast and painless. But maybe Always. even the pro, yeah, <laughs> great, fast, easy, painless. Yes, right. Yes, but but what we're seeing in these stories is maybe the process is just messy, and maybe there's part of it that's painful, and maybe there's something to learn even in the process. And if you look at biblical examples, I mean, was it look at Jesus in the garden? Was it easy and painless for him to make that decision, or was he struggling? Oh. You know, he was mm. struggling. This is what I want, Lord. Oh, please. And then not my will, but yours. Mm. And even that is a painful journey. So he, it, it just seems to me that um, 
maybe God's okay with some of our journey being painful and messy. And maybe he's okay with that. Maybe there's something of greater value for us in that journey. Yeah. Go I, ahead, I, well, I, was like, I, I hear that, right? Sometimes it means moving into the mess and having the courage to look at things you don't want to look at and invite people's feedback on things when you might not want to hear the feedback, right? That is the challenge of, of being open and authentic and honest with God and with the people in the process. And, you know, one of the themes that I've heard a couple times that I think would be helpful for us to clarify is that we're not saying that emotions don't play a role. I think what the three of us are agreeing on is that emotional or reactionary decisions can put us in a in a bad spot. And so rather than having that flash emotion, which for me is anger, right? That angry response to a situation and making a life altering decision, that there is wisdom in moving towards a more reasoned, intentional process towards making a major life change. Very well said. And we're going to have to leave it kind of there. You know, it, it really is our great privilege to walk with hundreds of people through this process of discerning what is God's will for my, for my next step in my career and how do I get there? And um, so we, we get to be that thought partner and in some cases really the fly on the wall that's just watching a person move through these steps and, 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 and check all the indicators and, and make the best next step that they can discern to do. And you know we, are, we generally see that the people who go through that process land really well and um, they know why. You know, they know why they've landed really well. So if uh, we can help you with that, let us know. And, uh, but again, thanks for joining us today on this webinar. And uh, we'll see you next month uh, with our next broadcast. Take care. So this conversation was recorded in front of a live virtual audience, and you can be a part of that audience. Register to join us and shape the conversation with your questions. Sign up for the next live webinar at vocacenter.org webinar. And we'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast, where we help you build resilient faith at work.